today on Ag News Daily. Assuming that we can begin some process of rebuilding, which I anticipate to happen at some point in the future, then it's going to be a several-year process to rebuild this herd. And that has all kinds of implications then for what we can expect for cattle prices and, and so on going forward. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. A snowy day in lots of the United States this morning. It is Friday, January 12th, brought to you today by Sound Agriculture. Jennifer, it feels like deja vu for a lot of folks that have now a big round of snow yet again. (laughs) Absolutely. I can say that this is probably going to be the third day this week where we don't leave the house in my area. Yeah, and I'm guessing a lot of folks are canceling school. Uh, I don't know how many inches of snow some people have gotten, but uh, definitely have seen reports anywhere from 16 plus, 20 plus inches of snow for some portions of the United States, especially the Central Plains and the Central Midwest. Yes, absolutely. Loads of snow. And actually, as I say that, there is a road scraper going by right now. Mm. Well, I think our yard and drive is going to need some scraping here. But as we head into the weekend, some uncertainty remains about exactly how much snow this storm is going to deliver to much of the United States. Temperatures are also expected to get pretty chilly as we head into the weekend here. Uh, Parts of Wyoming and Montana are going to be into the negative double digits as well as parts of North Dakota and South Dakota as well. So air temperatures are also going to be pretty low in quite a few different states. As we turn our attention down to the southern United States, they're continuing to see uh, large storms, thunderstorms and tornado storms. And the greatest risk of damage storms is from Alabama to North Carolina, where they're seeing level three out of five risk for severe thunderstorms in place for Friday, as well as tornadoes possible as well. Precipitation is also expected to hit quite a few states here over the next few days over the mid-Atlantic and will reach parts of the Northeast on Friday night. Flooding concerns are in place for parts of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and into Southern New England. So, Once again, we're seeing quite a few areas of the United States in some sort of storm watch or warning, and power outages are uh, increased for the Northeast as they're going to see a mix of precipitation, sleet, and snow and ice as they head into their weekend. So stay safe this weekend. It might be a good one to button up the hatches and stay indoors. That is absolutely right, Delaney. But on a more brighter note, Vilsack recently announced $19 million in biofuel investments. The Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says the department is awarding $19 million in grants to increase access in 22 states. He shares that we continue to invest in the infrastructure necessary for the renewable fuel industry to continue to prosper across the country. He says the funding will come from President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act and that this brings us to a total of 152 awards that have taken place since they have came into office in 35 states. According to the USDA, Casey's will use a $5 million grant to install ethanol blend fuel dispensers at 111 fueling stations in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, and South Dakota. 
and Piazza Enterprise Incorporated in Illinois will use a $200,000 grant to install two 30,000-gallon biodiesel storage tanks and associated piping with their Hartford Fuel Distribution Center. So that is some bright and exciting news that Vilsack had made this just recently. Absolutely. And it always blows my mind that grocery or gas stations like Casey's don't already have E15 at the pump, but it's unique to find a Casey's that has that. I, you know, I would be a Casey's diehard through and through, but they don't sell E15 or of course not E85. So I have to go to other gas stations like Come and Go or Quick Trip that do sell it. And that wouldn't necessarily be my gas station of choice. I would pick Casey's, but they just don't have it. So I'm hopeful for them. Absolutely. That is exactly how I feel when I'm at college as well. I have to travel a little ways to find some E15 just to, you know, make ends meet because of the cheaper prices. Absolutely. Well, we saw a a crowd of presidential candidates sweeping into Iowa earlier this week, as we saw just a couple of them actually got to hit the debate stage. Uh, Vivek, for whatever reason, was not allowed to debate, and Trump was not either. So we had just a few Republican presidential candidates on the stage here for the CNN debate earlier this week. But nonetheless, all presidential candidates have hit the trail here in the state of Iowa, focused on many different issues for Iowa constituents, including the carbon pipeline, year-round E15, and of course, other agricultural discussions as far as uh, land basis tax, all those good things. Um, But we're certainly seeing a lot of press being generated about some of their stances on different issues here. And the pipeline has been one that has come up yet and yet again. A crowd of over 100, including two Republican presidential candidates and several Iowa GOP lawmakers, rallied on Wednesday at the Iowa Capitol to oppose the use of eminent domain. And Vivek was there. Uh, as well as his fellow GOP candidate, Ryan Binkley, who is a Texas businessman and pastor. They also spoke at the event here, but that has certainly been a contentious issue for Iowa voters. So it's interesting to see uh, some candidates taking a hard stance here against the carbon pipeline. Absolutely. And bringing another story related to Secretary Vilsack, as he is urging Congress to fully fund the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for women, infants, and children. During a call with reporters on Thursday, the Secretary said WIC is critical to providing nutrition and health support for those in need. Of the 6.7 million participants, which is up from about 400,000 a year ago, He shares that over 3.6 million of those are children, 1.5 million are infants, and 1.5 million are women, are beneficiaries under this program. Earlier this week, Congressional Democrats sent a letter to leaders of both the U.S. House and Senate requesting that any final appropriations package fully funds the WIC program for the fiscal year of 2024. So that will be Interesting to follow through as it can definitely be a beneficial program for many across the U.S., Delaney. Absolutely. And must be legislative central here today because we also saw Governor Reynolds speak yesterday to state lawmakers and encourage them to 
continue moving forward with legislation that would limit foreign ownership of farmland. She said, let's make sure American soil remains in American hands. And part of the new legislation would require foreign entities to provide additional information on annual reports to state officials, including all a list of all their land holdings in the United States, not just in the state of Iowa. So Governor Reynolds has been very vocal and very focused on getting this legislation into law, requiring uh, those entities and people to ensure themselves or expose themselves to ensure that bad actors are exposed and held accountable. So I'm sure we'll see more of this type of legislation in the year ahead, Jennifer, as other states are also pushing very aggressively for this as well. Most definitely. And for my final story of the morning, Delaney, we are breaking away a little bit from legislation and into more research development. As researchers at Kansas State University have had a breakthrough in developing wheat-based foods that contain lower amounts of gluten. Aaron Harries, vice president of research and operations with the Kansas Wheat Commission, says researchers used CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology to reduce the presence of gluten-coding genes in the wheat genome. He reduced the number of proteins in a wheat variety that causes the reaction in people with celiac disease and then silenced some of the specific proteins. He shares that this doesn't mean a reduced gluten wheat variety will be available for wheat growers anytime soon, though. He shares it starts with filing a patent and then followed by more research. The discovery he made is in a Chinese spring wheat variety, and we grow hard red winter wheat in Kansas, he says. So he first needs to kind of transfer that trait into a hard red winter wheat variety, then continue testing in the field to grow some of the wheat. He shares that a test batch of wheat would be needed to be milled and then used to bake a loaf of bread to see how it performs. He says that followed by more testing, this in time is going to be for humans who have celiac disease. The final step would be to find a partner to commercialize the wheat variety. The entire process takes between seven year seven to eight years to reach commercialization delaney well wheat country i know is impacted by a lot of different factors and we're going to talk about some factors that impact both wheat and cattle here coming up in our interview section jennifer so before we do let's hit the markets as we head into opening markets here this morning, just after the open, we're seeing grains trade mixed. March corn here down a half a cent ahead of today's Wadsy report at 457. March corn up, excuse me, March soybeans up two cents at 12.38 and three quarters. In the wheat complex here, Chicago March wheat up four and a quarter cent at 6.08. Hard red March winter wheat up two and a half cents at 6.18. And March spring wheat up two and a quarter cent at 7.02. In the livestock markets here, just after the open, seeing cattle trade lower. February live cattle down 20 cents on the board at 171.60. March feeder cattle down 12.5 cents at 227.27. And February lean hogs down 87.5 cents at 71.70. Jennifer, for today's Friday conversation, we're chatting today about the cattle outlook with Daryl Peel of Oklahoma State University Extension. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. 
looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Well, folks, we this is a very timely topic as we're seeing snowfall and inclement weather hit so many portions of the United States here this Friday, heading into the weekend. We're chatting today with Daryl Peel, the Oklahoma State University Extension Livestock Marketing Specialist, to chat weather, drought, and pasture and how that's going to impact our cattle production. Daryl, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, you bet. I'm happy to be here. Daryl, before we dig into the current events at hand here, tell us a little bit more about your role and what you focus on as a university extension livestock marketing specialist. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, my academic position here is I'm a professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. I've been here since 1989. And the bulk of my appointment within that position is as an extension livestock marketing specialist. So I spend most of my time um, analyzing and then, you know, trying to anticipate uh, cattle market conditions and provide information to producers to help them make some decisions about sort of, uh, you know, what to expect in the markets, what we're looking at, and and maybe how they can use that then to position themselves uh, in terms of both cattle production and marketing. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that background with us and our listeners as well. So, Daryl, set us up to the events, you know, that kind of brought us to today as we watch, you know, past cattle on feed reports, we look at just production numbers in general. We've obviously seen lower herd numbers across the United States, a lot of drought, but set us up for the conversation we're going to have today. Yeah, you bet. You know, in a longer term sense, of course, the cattle market tends to be very cyclical in nature. The beef cattle part of the industry uh, is very cyclical in nature. So cattle numbers, uh, you know, the beef cow herd is really the source of all supply for the industry. The beef cow herd has been declining since 2019, but it has really accelerated that liquidation in the last two years because of drought around the country. Uh, And so we find ourselves uh, going into 2024 um, with a uh, smaller cow herd uh, yet it's it's a uh, you know it's it's the smallest cow herd since about 1962 and in fact we're waiting for uh, at the end of the month USDA will give us the January one numbers coming into 2024 officially uh, but I'm quite you know I'm quite sure it's going to show that we're uh, probably at the lowest beef cow herd since uh, actually it'll probably be 1961 so we've got a very small beef cow herd that's been uh, you know part of this drought story for the last several years. And that sets up then kind of, it's going to take several years, uh, assuming that we can begin some process of rebuilding, which I anticipate to happen at some point in the future, then it's going to be a several year process to rebuild this herd. And that has all kinds of implications then for what we can expect for cattle prices and and so on going forward. Hi, Daryl, Jennifer here. So you just kind of touched a lot on the numbers and the past outlook of the cattle markets and the amount in the cattle industry. So looking forward, you just kind of touched a little bit on also what the markets could potentially look like. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that and talk about some of your predictions of what you might be seeing here in the next few months. 
Yeah, you know, from a price standpoint, we did start to see in 2023 a rapid run up in cattle prices across the board for feeder cattle, fed cattle. Uh, and again, that's that's really the uh, the impact of those tighter supplies playing out. But we've got a long ways to go. Uh, you know, the numbers continue to get tighter. Uh, and, uh, and and at some point in time, we will start to rebuild uh, the herd to do that, we have to retain heifers, which means we have to make a tight supply even tighter. And that that process will take, you know, many months, if not uh, a couple of three years. So uh, I say all that to say that the even though we ended 2023 with substantially higher prices than we've seen, uh, we've got more higher prices ahead of us. And we're generally expecting to see higher average uh, fed, feeder and fed cattle prices in 2024, 2025, at, at least, and probably even uh, extending beyond that. So Daryl, with that factor in mind, that higher prices are continuing to come down the pipeline as we continue to shrink herd size and heifer size. How does that play out here from a consumer standpoint and a demand standpoint when we think at some point in time, surely demand will start to really slow down given the higher prices that might be in the forecast? Yeah, that's a great question. One I, I get all the time. And, and so, you know, what we have happening here is we've got tight supplies from the bottom up of the industry, if you will, starting at the cow-calf sector, uh, pushing things higher. At the same time, on the top end, you've got consumers who face a lot of pressures, uh, you know, in general, just in terms of, of their, you know, inflationary impacts and other things. And so what that suggests is there's a real squeeze play going on in the middle. Uh, having said all that, beef production is falling. It started to fall in 2023 from record levels in 2022. Uh, we expect it to continue falling in 2024 and 2025. So with smaller supplies, uh, that implies that uh, certainly, uh, you know, beef prices at the wholesale and retail level will, they will very likely move somewhat higher. Uh, certainly they're not going to drop over that time period. And so, uh, but now how much can they go up? I think that's, you know, that's really kind of the question is, I wouldn't expect that retail prices will go up proportionally as much as we expect cattle prices to go up. And so, again, that speaks to the fact that in this very complicated industry with lots of different layers of, uh, of production and marketing, that there will be a lot of squeeze going on in those intermediate sectors between cow-calf production and the, the final consumer. So between all of the different layers that are impacting the producers and the consumers, what recommendations would you make for them in moving forward? Well, you know, cow-calf producers are, are trying to figure out sort of uh, how they're going to respond to, you know, the market signals that are growing with higher calf prices, really. That's the focus of the market right now is at the cow-calf level. Uh, but we've got continuing drought conditions. We've got so, so we've got some physical limitations on what producers can do. And a lot of it just comes down to their expectations. Do they really think these markets are going to stay strong enough, long enough, to make them want to make that investment in retaining heifers and, and building the herd. So I think producers, depending on where they are and what their what their environmental situation is, as well as what their economic situation is and their expectations, that'll determine how they're going to respond to this going forward. And that's going to set the timeline then on what everybody else in the industry will deal with. We're going to continue to see tighter supplies at the feedlot level. Packers will struggle. Retailers will struggle to some extent. And consumers will face, uh, again, these strong to higher prices as we go forward. Daryl, I think my final question to wrap up our conversation for today is looking at the current weather that we've seen sweep through much of the northern plains, the Midwest here, all the way down into the Texas panhandle. Snow, followed by more snow here into the weekend. 
What does that do for cattle placement numbers here moving forward? As we know, we've seen some facilities like Cargill and Tyson have to shutter their doors for inclement weather and workers not being able to get in there. So we've seen production numbers already impacted this week, slaughter numbers impacted this week. When do we see that really play out in the marketplace? And what is the expectation here moving forward for this winter storm in particular? Yeah, in this more short-term setting with the winter weather that we've got, um, you know, again, the the packing plant disruptions that we're seeing will have a relatively immediate impact on box beef prices that will play out to some extent through the retail chains then over the coming, uh, you know, the, the near the coming few weeks here going forward. Uh, you know, probably the bigger lingering impact of, of this cold weather and the snow uh, will be at the feedlot level. So cattle performance will be impacted. Uh, and, you know, we've seen relatively strong carcass weights as we ended up 2023. Uh, that's a result of feedlot production. Uh, but that will begin to be moderated as we go forward. I would expect to see carcass weights falling. That will add to this idea that not only are cattle numbers down, but with smaller carcass weights at some point in time, that will accelerate a little bit the decrease in beef production. And then longer term, you know, there may be some lingering impacts on uh, bigger or on cattle supplies from the standpoint of feeder cattle production. The good thing, if there is a good thing about this immediate cold weather, is that we're not really for the most part, in the heart of calving season. So our spring calving producers, for the most part, have not started calving yet. Fall calving producers probably have calves on the ground that are big enough to handle this cold weather. So, you know, there are some producers that will get caught in this from us from the standpoint of calf production, but probably not nearly as bad as it could be if, if this uh, type of weather were to happen, say, one to two months uh, from now. Uh, then we would be more into the heart of, of calving season with much more potential for impacts on on the uh, survivability of those of those young calves in this kind of weather. Fantastic, Daryl. We certainly appreciate your insight today. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're very welcome. Anytime I can help. Well, always appreciate Daryl's insight. Uh, read a lot of his articles and always great to have him on the podcast as well, Jennifer. Absolutely. He had a lot of great information to share for the listeners. So I was pretty excited about that interview. Absolutely. And it sounds like there's a potential storm yet to come, so to speak, in the cattle market. So it'll be interesting here to see if Darren's predict Daryl's predictions do in fact come true. Absolutely. It was a lot to listen, but some great information. Absolutely. Well, that is the final piece of information we have to share with our listeners here as we head into the weekend. We hope everyone has a safe weekend if you are out and about traveling as this winter storm is rolling through. And we'll see everyone on Monday, Jennifer. So with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.